Welcome to Body Matters Podcast, where we bring to you raw and inspiring content on all things to do with body positivity and eating disorder recovery. But before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as traditional people and traditional owners of this country. We acknowledge with gratitude First Nations communities for their continuing care and connection to the lands or waters with which they have protected for thousands of years. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise that First Nations sovereignty was never ceded. On this week's episode, I am delighted to be bringing back last week's special guest, accredited exercise physiologist and health coach, Sarah Liz King. On this week's episode, we will be speaking about the topic of your menstrual cycle and how it can be impacted by disordered eating, where we will specifically be speaking about hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is a condition that causes someone's period to stop, often caused by undereating, stress or excessive exercise. So on that note, here's Sarah. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Thanks again for having me. I'm excited to talk to you and your audience again today. Yes, happy to have you back on. So to start us off, would you be able to talk about some self-care that you like doing? Of course. So my self-care that I do every single day without fail is my skincare routine. Now, this isn't something that I... (laughs) did from like my twenties. It's probably something I discovered, um, only a few years ago, but it just feels so nice to like, just take care of your skin. And it's something so simple, but it feels so nice to just do that morning and nighttime. Um, so that is my one self-care routine that I stick to. Um, I also really love having fun with like doing my makeup, but I don't get to do that every day. And my other daily self-care is going for a walk with my dog and getting a coffee and enjoying the view of where I live, which is um, beautiful Bondi Beach. And I love that they're daily self-care things as well that you implement. So to start us off today, we are going to be speaking about eating disorders and your menstrual cycle. So how might an eating disorder impact your menstrual cycle? So... One of the things that we know about eating disorders is that it often affects a person's relationship with food and relationship with exercise. And when the body, I guess, doesn't receive enough nutrition or when it's like pushed to the limits with movement or when it's just really stressed and obviously struggling with your mental health is quite stressful. um, Sometimes your menstrual cycle can become irregular or it can go missing altogether, or it can change in the way that it normally is. So maybe it's a little bit lighter than it normally is. But for some people, and I'm going to preface this, some people with eating disorders like never lose their period. And there are people that don't have eating disorders that lose their period. So there are definitely impacts of the eating, just like all eating disorders on our menstrual cycle. Um, and you know, we're going to be talking about one in particular today, which is hypothalamic amenorrhea, but there are other things that can disrupt a person's menstrual cycle. Um, 
that have similar but different symptoms like polycystic ovarian syndrome, but the root cause of what is driving that is very different from hypothalamic amenorrhea. Yes, definitely. There are so many influences on your fertility and body systems that can occur. Um, But to go into the topic of hypothalamic amenorrhea, um, also known as HA, what is um, HA? So HA, or like you said, absolutely perfectly, hypothalamic amenorrhea is a form of secondary amenorrhea. So secondary amenorrhea means that a person has had their own natural menstrual cycle at some stage in their life, and then it has stopped. So you would notice that it would stop, obviously, if you're not taking something like oral contraceptives. So this is not speaking to people who might be taking the pill. This is talking about kind of noticing that your own natural menstrual cycle has gone MIA. And the definition is for three months or longer. Now, the causes of hypothalamic amenorrhea are varied, but the main ones that impact a person's menstrual cycle going missing due to hypothalamic amenorrhea are number one, inadequate energy intake. So not consuming enough fuel for your body's needs. The second would be excessive or over-exercising and not just structured physical activity. This could also be incidentally as well. So going for lots of walks, having a very active job, always being on the move. The third is stress, physical or psychological stress. So the body being undernourished and over-exercised is a form of stress. So is psychological stress. So things like relationships, uh, pressures that you put on yourself, pressures that we feel from society, finances, all of those kinds of things. That's another big one. And then there are elements of low body weight being a factor, um, low body fat percentages being a factor, as well as a genetic component. So some people may be more predisposed to losing their period compared to others. I see. And it is so interesting, the stress element as well and how that impacts your system. Yeah. So how are the body's systems influenced by HA? So first and foremost, obviously when your menstrual cycle shuts down, you could say your sex organs are impacted. So um, you're not ovulating, which means that your uterus isn't kind of building up the lining to potentially, I guess, um, have an embryo be implanted, you're not releasing an egg, um, and all of that would be impacted because your sex hormones, which are responsible for this cycle, are very, very low. So fertility and your reproductive organs are impacted. That is one impact on your body system. The second would be your bones. So estrogen also has a role in bone protection. So our skeleton does get impacted when we have hypothalamic amenorrhea. We have an accelerated rate of bone loss because of that low estrogen. And our bone building processes are also slower because of that. So you are at a higher risk of things like stress injuries, osteopenia, which is low bone mineral density and or 
osteoporosis, which is the next level above that. Um, it also impacts your heart. So estrogen is cardioprotective. So we see in that postmenopausal post population who have low estrogen due to going through the menopause, that there is an increased incidence of um, cardiovascular disease. Now we can kind of correlate that low estrogen levels are kind of one of the driving forces behind that. So there is kind of a stress on our heart health from having low estrogen levels, similar to being in HA. And then there's also correlations between hypothalamic amenorrhea and increased incidence of depression and anxiety. So those are how the main body systems are impacted, but there are other signs and symptoms that people might experience physically in their body while they have hypothalamic amenorrhea. So some of these are feeling cold all the time, having a lot of fatigue. It could be changes to your sleep or insomnia. Um, some people feel like they get kind of like these hot flushes. Sometimes you might have dry, dull hair, skin, and nails. So it's not as strong and it's not as healthy. You might find it more difficult to concentrate. And all of these are side effects, not just of your hormones being low, but having inadequate energy intake for your body, which is one of those factors that causes hypothalamic amenorrhea. Yeah. Wow. But what if you already have an eating disorder that has similar type symptoms? So then how does HA affect those with um, an already present eating disorder? Yeah. So if you are already struggling with an eating disorder, I'd say it's pretty hard to kind of pick apart what, I guess, symptoms are being caused by what. <laughs> and it kind of all ties in together. And I think we don't necessarily need to extrapolate out, oh, it's the eating disorder that's causing these symptoms or if it's HA causing these symptoms, because if we are looking after our bodies and focusing on the recovery process for an eating disorder, so focusing on re-nourishing the body, weight restoration, if that is a part of what our journey needs to be, balancing our movement and our exercise overall, then the symptoms associated with hypothalamic amenorrhea improve, as does our physical health and mental health for our eating disorder as well. So there's a lot of crossover between symptoms, but I guess the, you know, the one thing that is the characteristic of hypothalamic amenorrhea is that, that missing period. But even if you don't have a missing period, if you do have an eating disorder, that is something that warrants so much attention and you still deserve to seek care and treatment and support. Yes, it's just maybe after, if you have recovered from the eating disorder and those symptoms still prevail, then um, yeah, to really seek treatment. Yeah, I think you make such a good point there because I often see people who come to me and they go, you know, my treatment team has recommended that I weight restore to this weight, but my periods still haven't returned. That's a very common, I guess, um, experience for a lot of clients that I see. And sometimes when we've had an eating disorder for like a really long period of time, and maybe we haven't had a menstrual cycle for a really long time, 
we can't always use kind of what is usually called a pre-morbid wage. So like that pre, um, before I was unwell, what was my quote unquote healthy weight? We can't always use that as a guide to guide people towards where they're going to be functioning most optimally. So sometimes we need a little bit more nourishment. Sometimes we need a a few tweaks to our movement and exercise practices. Sometimes we just need a few little tweaks to the way that we are fueling our body throughout the day to get that menstrual cycle to resume again. So that is what I would say is like a very common experience for people that have a history of an eating disorder. Yes. So can you keep completely recover from HA? You can. It's pretty magical. You can fully reverse hypothalamic amenorrhea. Um, And one of the things that's pretty cool about it is it actually doesn't matter how long you've had it for. That doesn't necessarily determine the length of time that it will take you to regain a menstrual cycle. Um, There's no correlation between those two factors. So resuming or regaining that menstrual cycle is uh, through obviously reversing a lot of those causative factors that meant that you lost your period in the first place. So ensuring adequate energy, ensuring a more moderate approach to movement and exercise, and also really managing your stress. Those are going to be the three really, really, really important things. And then we do look at elements of weight and body fat percentages. Um, but we take those, you know, with, with a grain of, of salt, because at the end of the day, every person's quote unquote healthy BMI is going to be so widely different. We can't just pick one number and say, yep, that's the one that you need to aim for. And then wave the magic wand and, and your periods will resume. It's all of the factors combined that we really need to think about. And what if you don't address HA though? What are the long-term effects of of not actually wanting to address um, HA? Look, I think people often sweep hypothalamic amenorrhea under the rug because it feels like it's quote-unquote convenient to not have a period every single month. I mean, you don't have to think about, you know, going and buying period products and cramps and all of those things that we typically think about when we think about a period and a menstrual cycle. But there are so many long-term health impacts if we actually don't address it. The problem is these health impacts don't necessarily like smack you in the face or they don't always impact your day-to-day life, but accumulatively they can lead to really serious health impacts in the long-term. So the long-term health impacts of not having a period are pretty significant. The first one is obviously your fertility. So when you have hypothalamic amenorrhea, your ability to conceive naturally is non-existent because you're not ovulating. You're not releasing an egg every month. Your body's not building up a healthy endometrium for that potential embryo to be implanted. So conceiving naturally becomes a struggle. And also when your body's in this low energy state, sure, you can go and do things like IVF, but your body's response to those drugs may be significantly reduced because your body is not in a a healthy state overall. So that is definitely one long-term impact. 
The second one, which I mentioned before, is your bone health. So you have a significantly increased risk of developing osteopenia and osteoporosis, as well as getting stress fractures. So stress fractures are something that I see probably far too often. And in bones that we typically see as the strongest bones in the body, for example, our thigh bone or our femur, having a femoral stress fracture, which is very, very common in like runners who might be underfueled, is something that I see really, really regularly. The thing with our bone health though, is that we don't have x-ray vision. We cannot tell whether we have a strong skeleton or that our skeleton is below where it should be for our age. And the only way that we can determine that is with a bone mineral density scan, which is called a DEXA scan. And if you have had a missing period for 12 months or greater, or you have suffered from a restrictive eating disorder or another eating disorder that has compromised your hormonal health, you should definitely be getting screened with a DEXA scan to find out what your bone health is. And they should be repeated regularly because it is reversible. We can improve bone mass. We can regain some back, but we need to know where we're starting from in order to do that. And recovering your period is one of the main things that we need to work on to ensure that you have a healthy skeleton. Yes. The other ones are cardiovascular health, right? Our heart health definitely gets impacted from not having sufficient estrogen levels around. And then we can think about the long-term effects of whatever is causing you to miss your period in the first place. So having that unhealthy or disordered relationship with food or exercise, struggling with your body image and feeling like you have to micromanage the shape that your body takes and that is causing you to have a missing period. Those mental struggles are just as significant as the physical health impacts of hypothalamic amenorrhea. And I think so many people go, oh, well, maybe I'm not as bad as I used to be in terms of my relationship with food or exercise, but lulling yourself into a false sense of security really creates this kind of stuck mindset that can then lead you to having these long-term, I guess, health complications of HA. The last one I would say, which is a complication of hypothalamic amenorrhea, is digestive issues. So when the body is being undernourished, it's not getting enough energy, um, the digestive system really slows down. This can lead to either upper GI or lower GI symptoms, so things like reflux or feeling really, really full quite quickly. Those are those upper GI symptoms or lower GI symptoms like constipation, bloating, diarrhea, cramps. All of those things are really, really common in hypothalamic amenorrhea, but again, can be improved through the recovery process. It does take time for those to kind of get all the way better though. Yes. Still, it's very, very interesting. So What is the prevalence of HA for those who do experience an eating disorder? So the prevalence for people that experience an eating disorder, it's kind of estimated that between 66 and 84% of women with anorexia nervosa will experience a form of amenorrhea, hypothalamic amenorrhea usually being the most common, and 77% of people with a history of bulimia 
um, will also experience it. So that 77% of people with bulimia also tend to be kind of sway between having a history of bulimia and having a history of anorexia nervosa. Now to put that into perspective, hypothalamic amenorrhea is estimated to affect about 17.4 million women and people assigned female at birth worldwide. Now that statistic is a couple of years old. So obviously it's probably higher than that, um, but it's quite significant. Definitely significant and very interesting with the bulimia because I know those who experience bulimia can be all different um, body weights. Is there um, a reason that it's linked to bulimia? Yeah, so obviously bulimia might have an inconsistent energy intake. So we go through periods of restriction and denying ourselves food because we may have had an episode of binge eating. Um, And then, you know, even if we do intake a a specific amount of calories in a shorter window of time, what our body senses is that there are long windows of time where we're not getting any nutrition in or we're not getting sufficient nutrition in, and that is stressful. Our brain, specifically our hypothalamus, it needs these regular hormonal signals that enough energy is floating around. And even though I guess we don't love or the hormone insulin has been demonized, it is one of these hormones that our hypothalamus goes, oh, look, there's energy around. We can increase this kind of like pulsatile response of our sex hormones. So gonadotropin releasing hormone, that's the one at the top. And then it kind of filters down into the production of FSH, which is a follicle stimulating hormone and LH, which is our luteinizing hormone. So that stable blood sugar of consistent energy intake throughout the day has a really positive effect on our hormones being produced in sufficient amounts. But obviously with bulimia, if we are not getting the regular energy in, even if our energy overall feels like it's quote unquote too much or enough, our body still senses that as stress. And so it can downregulate the production of our hormones. So that is one reason why it can show up in bulimia. Yes. And I really like how you broke it down as well to be able to understand it more. Yeah. So then what are the medical implications of HA? To put it, I guess, even more specifically, if we're looking at medically what changes in our physiology, let's say if we're looking at a blood test, what potentially could look different if you have hypothalamic amenorrhea, this is what you would commonly see. So you would commonly see that your estrogen levels are very, very low. So low to kind of non-existent. That simply means your body's not getting enough energy in to help you ovulate, which would spike your estrogen levels up. Now, the hardest thing about hormonal blood tests is there are wide ranges of what is considered quote unquote normal. But if you have a blood test, say um, at day one of the month, and then you have another blood test at day 15 of the month, and nothing really changes significantly, we can kind of tell that your hormones are flatlining a little bit. 
So having one blood test isn't always very, very telling. If someone says your hormones are quote unquote normal, but you're not having a period, then that's not normal for your body. So we kind of have to look at what happens across a period of time, because what should be happening is your hormones should be cycling as in a regular menstrual cycle kind of fluctuates across that period. But if those two periods of time show no change, then we can kind of tell like, okay, your hormones aren't really doing that much. Um, you would also notice that your FSH would probably be a fraction higher than your LH levels. So that ratio would be kind of higher FSH to LH. Um, and your progesterone would probably be low as well because that is what is considered kind of like a downstream hormone. So that one gets... Uh, that one increases after ovulation. So if you're not ovulating, that one's not going to be increasing. But medically, we also see implications in other of your hormones. So the thyroid hormone can become downregulated. Um, and that's the body's way of conserving energy um, by reducing your metabolism slightly so that it's not burning as much energy day to day and it keeps you alive. Um, and we can also see kind of changes, I guess, that kind of represent more that undernutrition or malnutrition. So changes in your white cell count, changes in how your liver is functioning. Um, and that can kind of just indicate overall stress from that undernutrition, which is obviously associated with hypothalamic amenorrhea. Yes. And your body is so interconnected that systems do get impacted and some hormones, it seems. Yeah. So then what have you seen um, as some common experiences or themes with clients of yours with HA? So many common themes. I think one of the most significant is the story that goes along the lines of, you know, I just wanted to be a little healthier. I just wanted to um, eat better. I just wanted to exercise more regularly because I have heard of all of the benefits of doing those things. And then what starts out is quite a well-intentioned journey to improve your well-being can snowball into obsession. And that can often lead people to either developing a clinical eating disorder that gets diagnosed formally or disordered eating both obviously incredibly important to address. And I think one of the most um, difficult things a lot of people find is that the period of time with which it takes to develop these kind of disordered habits or behaviors that were seemingly innocuous to begin with can feel like a very short period of time. Whereas when a person gets to this point where they feel like they don't actually have a choice between, oh, I want to go to the gym. No, it's now I feel like I have to go to the gym. That can be something that sticks with them and feels so incredibly hard to climb out of. So the period of time from development can feel relatively short, whereas the period of time it takes to recover can feel a little bit kind of painstakingly long. I think a lot of people who have hypothalamic amenorrhea often struggle with body image, having a sense of their identity that is tied into how they look or their level of fitness or being an athlete. And that can make things really, really challenging. Um, 
And also, you know, a fear of weight gain and what that weight gain means. It's not necessarily about the exact number on the scale, but what that represents to the person and how they feel they'll judge themselves and also maybe how they feel that they'll be judged by others in the world around them. So those are some really common themes and some really common obstacles that I find my clients are consistently talking about with me in session. Yeah. And I really like how you acknowledged the compulsive aspect of when you are trapped in the actual eating disorder and how it does get out of control. And it feels as it's, it's not a choice at that point um, to then start to really try and address and seek treatment for your eating disorder can be a really, really hard battle um, to start. Yeah. So then what are the treatments then for HA if someone, um, is on that journey. So the treatment for hypothalamic amenorrhea fundamentally involves lifestyle changes. Um, I'll go through those first and then I will talk about kind of like medications and those forms of treatment because if you are diagnosed with HA and a lot of people actually never get a formal diagnosis of HA, it is a diagnosis of exclusion. Um, if you do have HA, you're going to be kind of instructed to do a couple of things. And sometimes these are said quite bluntly by health professionals, which is go eat more, go gain some weight, stop exercising so much. And, you know, while those, I guess, statements are true for a person on the receiving end of those things, that can be an incredibly challenging journey to actually implement those lifestyle changes. So when we are thinking about reversing the root causes of hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is undernutrition, overexercising, too much stress, and also sometimes that weight body fat element, we need to think about, okay, re-nourishing the body starts with consistent, regular, adequate eating. That is going to look different for everyone, but um, if you're someone that's listening to this podcast and you want like a general place to start, it's kind of this like general guideline of threes. So three meals, three snacks, roughly every three hours as a minimum, never a maximum, right? Then we're kind of looking at enough energy overall. That's the adequacy component. Are you getting enough fuel? Are you getting it in the right proportions. So carbohydrates being a very particularly important part, enough healthy fats, your proteins, your fun foods, your relationship with food improving as well. So regularity, adequacy, then we're looking at relationship with food wise, improving your variety, eating socially and spontaneity. So that kind of represents what is commonly referred to as the RAVES model of re-nourishing the body that moves from that stage of mechanical eating to intuitive eating, which is a helpful model for a lot of people. Obviously it's not a one size fits all, but it can be really a helpful model to follow you through with that re-nourishment of the body. Exercise is a tricky one because some people will be able to tolerate more exercise than others, but there are a few key things that will definitely help you with period recovery. The first is cutting out high intensity exercise. So high intensity exercise basically means things like running, 
or weightlifting or anything that's like very athletic that kind of feels quite exertional or we're doing high intensity exercise and our body's kind of undernourished, the body senses that as a form of stress and it increases a hormone called cortisol. So cortisol can take away from the production of our sex hormones. So we're trying to minimize that as much as possible. Cortisol in and of itself isn't a bad hormone. When the body's adequately fueled and doing its best, kind of you've got regular cycles, everything's fine. High intensity exercise is totally fine because the body can, can tolerate that and it doesn't give you this huge increase in cortisol that only really happens when you're really undernourished and underfueled. And then we want to kind of allow your body to have more rest. So obviously when you're doing activity, you are expending energy. Now, movement is beneficial to our overall well-being. But in this instance, we're trying to create a surplus of energy so that our body senses, hey, it's safe. We're no longer in a famine or restriction. We can upregulate both the menstrual cycle and any other kind of bodily processes that have been downregulated. But if it's constantly using the energy that you're giving it through food to prioritize other movement through structured exercise or lots of incidental exercise, it's not really going to have that choice to prioritize those rebuilding, um, rebuilding, repairing, restoring um, processes that we need to get your period back. So Really cutting down on the exercise, taking a break altogether can sometimes be very, very beneficial. It's short term. It can be reintroduced safely and healthily in the long run. The third is obviously um, managing stress, which if you're struggling with an eating disorder, recovery in itself is stressful. And recovery from hypothalamic amenorrhea is also stressful. So finding different ways of managing your stress that isn't related to exercise um, or isn't related to kind of your eating disorder, because sometimes people do use eating disorder behaviors to regulate their emotions and their well-being. So really building out a toolbox of different things that you can practice in times of stress that will help you feel calmer, feel more at peace, navigate the day. So again, that your body's not sensing that huge psychological stress and getting support is absolutely fundamental in order to tackle all of those three things. Yes, definitely. Especially if you only do, let's say, high intensity exercise as your outlet for stress to maybe try and introduce more things into your toolbox. Maybe try some moderate exercise or yoga or walking as replacements, just really trying to balance things out in a more healthy way. A hundred percent. And it, you know, those changes can feel hard initially, but just give yourself some time to ease in. Yes, definitely. So what can you do if your hormones are significantly disturbed by um, HA and you are experiencing mental health symptoms alongside it? What you can do is definitely talk to your doctor. And also, if you don't have a treatment team, start building a treatment team. This is where you can connect with a psychologist to help you with the mental health side of things, a dietitian to help you with renourishing your body, an exercise physiologist like myself 
to help you with balancing your exercise and creating a healthy relationship with movement. And that's how you can tackle both the physical health aspects of hypothermic amenorrhea and also the mental health aspects that come alongside with it so that you can get better without adding more stress to your plate of trying to do it all by yourself. Yeah. So then how can you best manage maybe HA if you do have it and you're trying to recover? So managing hypothalamic amenorrhea will really depend on a few factors. If you know that you are currently in recovery and it's going to take you a long time to get back to maybe a restored weight that your body will function at its best, then you can kind of use medications to help support your body through the recovery process that will help protect your bones at the same time. So bone protection is something that we really want to ensure that we are on top of, um, as it can be a significant impact of hypothermic amenorrhea. So this is where a specialist like an endocrinologist can be really useful in your treatment team because they can prescribe something called HRT. So hormone replacement therapy. Hormone replacement therapy will help to put basically bioidentical hormones back into your body, which will be at sufficient levels to protect your bones. Unfortunately, the pill, which is often overprescribed, is not appropriate for people with eating disorders because it doesn't have the level of hormones that we need or the kind of hormones that we need to protect our bones. So we really need to bring in the specialist here, which is the endocrinologist. And HRT is a short-term medication that we can use while we are working on adopting all of those lifestyle changes that we need to recover from both our eating disorder and hypothalamic amenorrhea. And then you can transition back off HRT to see if your body resumes its own natural menstrual cycle by itself. I see. So then do you have any advice for someone who maybe really struggles with HA or feels that it has impacted their fertility? I would say you are not alone. This impacts so many more people uh, than you would ever imagine. It's just this kind of thing that is completely unspoken about, like a little bit of a dark secret that nobody opens their mouth and chats about. If you're really, really struggling though, there are so many resources available, both in terms of like self-help or self-guided courses, books, as well as practitioners who can assist you in restoring your cycles naturally. So if pregnancy is something that you want for yourself in the future, you can 100% fall pregnant naturally after you've reversed HA and no differences in kind of like live birth rates between people that have had hypothalamic amenorrhea in the past and, and those who haven't. So my, my biggest, I guess, piece of advice is don't feel like you have to struggle through this by yourself or that you should just like keep your mouth shut and it's going to resolve on its own. It's probably not. You definitely need to be making those changes, but making those changes with a supportive team behind you will make sure that it that recovery process happens so much quicker and you won't have to feel all the stress of handling it by yourself. Yes, definitely. 
Well, thank you so much for this episode, Sarah. It's been sensational. Thanks for having me again. And for anyone who hasn't heard you before and wants to find more information about you, where can they find you? I am most active on Instagram, but I'm also on other platforms. You can find me at Sarah Liz King. Um, and my website is the same, sarahlizking.com. Otherwise, my podcast has a wealth of information and resources, and that is called Holistic Health Radio. Thank you so much. See you later. Bye. Well, that's the end of today's episode. Please subscribe, leave us a comment or a review. If you would also like to learn more about Body Matters services, you can check out our website at bodymatters.com.au. Thanks for listening.